Welcome to Talking Kotlin. On this episode, I'm speaking with Eugenio Marletti on shared code development across multiple platforms. Eugenio, welcome to the show. Thank you. So before we begin, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you work, uh, where you live, and uh, what, what do you mainly do on a daily basis? Yeah, so I work for Clue in Berlin, and I'm the uh, lead Android engineer here. Um, so Clue is a tracking app for female health. So that means that um, our users track symptoms directly or indirectly related to their cycles, and the app empowers them to find how they impact their life. And most importantly, we try to predict what's going to happen in the future. But you're Italian, right? Yeah, originally Italian. Okay, and how long have you been living in Berlin? So I think it's almost four years now. Um, I, we actually moved here, me and my wife, uh, for this company. Um, I was looking for new opportunities abroad because I was fed up of the economical situation in Italy. And so as soon as I found Clue, I fell in love with the concept, with the people, and I, <laughs> I had other interviews planned. I canceled all of them and just came here directly. Berlin is kind of also a set startup scene of Europe, right? They, In a oh. sense, they call it the Silicon Valley of Europe without all of the uh, quote-unquote things that go on in Silicon Valley, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, yeah so it's true. Yeah, and uh, me living in Spain, I can totally understand what you mean in regard to being fed up with the whole economic situation of of the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, I don't know how it is in Italy, but in Spain, it seems that we don't learn. You know, we 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 suffered the real estate boom yeah. uh, and the bubble blew, and uh, now everyone's like, oh, it's it's picking up again, and we're like, but it could potentially lead to a bubble. No, no, there will never ever be another bubble. Yes. Yeah, okay. It's very similar. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, right. Now, regarding your um, application, and one of the th- reasons that I invited you on the show was because you are using Kotlin to write all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And one particular thing about this aspect is that you're using Kotlin not just to target Android, but you are doing some co-sharing across multiple platforms. So could you give us a little bit of insight into that? Yeah, so um, I'm actually going to give a little bit of history because it, it gives a lot of context as to why we, we came to where we are now. Um, so originally the app, uh, I wrote it from scratch because um, it was only iOS when I joined the company and I was hired to create the Android app. Um, and at the time, Kotlin, well, actually, it probably was announced, yes, but I, I, I started using Java. I had no Kotlin experience whatsoever. Um, then about, I believe, two years ago, uh, again, I got fed up of Java this time. Uh, I was looking for alternative, something more powerful, and Kotlin seemed like the best alternative at the time. Um, and so, so let's stop there a second. Yeah, let's stop there a second before we continue. Why did you get fed up of Java? Um, because of the so essentially writing in Java for me feels like writing in a language that is either too dumb or too low level. I need uh, in order to work effectively with a team and and essentially not shoot myself in the foot. I need abstractions enforced by the compiler mostly. So it's not just even about, you know, the nicer syntax or writing more elegant code. It's not that. It's about 
being able to express things without having to remember how this convention works, without having to read all the documentation. In Kotlin, I can write things that just like self-document themselves and you just cannot do it wrong. Like you can create a DSL where you can only use it this way. Like there is no other way. And the compiler takes care of making sure that either you write code that is correct from a syntactical point of view, or it just doesn't compile. Okay, fair enough. So yeah, so that was the reason. Um, so I started looking into calling, uh, let's say privately in my spare time, and I, I loved it really, really much. And so I started at work saying every time like, oh, this could be better in calling. Oh, this could be so much better, blah, blah, blah. Um, and that was the Android side. And then about, what is it now? Well, at least, well, in September, I think, we pushed the first uh, Kotlin code in production. And since then, all new code is in Kotlin. Every time we go back and change anything, we first convert that to Kotlin. And I think we're now at about more than 30% of the app in Kotlin. It's a huge app, like 250,000 uh, 250, lines of code or something like that. So there's a lot to convert. And you were the only person on the team at the time? I was for about a year and a half. Then I was joined by another developer, and now we are uh, four and soon to be five. Right, but when you started to adopt Kotlin and you said, I, I really love this and this is what I want, were you the only person or did you have to kind of convince other members of the team? Uh, we were two at the time and I had to convince the other person, but it was very easy. Like I just kept showing snippets and... <laughs> After, I don't know, a few weeks, uh, this other person was like, okay, fine, let's do it. So that was easy. Uh, mostly it was about the risk of adopting a technology that at the time we didn't know if it was like, uh, if it was going to be something supported, etc. Now, of course, it's obvious that it is uh, with Google endorsement and everything. But yeah, at the time it was still a bet. Going back to what we were mentioning earlier, which is you are specifically targeting multiple platforms. Yeah. What other platforms are you actually targeting? So again, at the very beginning, the app was only iOS, iPhone, uh, then Android joined, then we started having user accounts. So we started having a backend. Um, and uh, the backend at the beginning was very, very simple. It was just used for uh, keeping user information and sharing um, data between devices. And then it evolved. Uh, it started having smart features, like it sends you reports by email about what's happening. It can calculate things on its own to, to ping you at the right time when things happen. And so we started having the need to, to calculate the same things that we calculated on both devices, also on the backend. Um, and this, like we have this core algorithm, we call it the algorithm, um, which does- The algorithm. The algorithm, it does the, the bulk, of the prediction work and all these insights that come out, they come out uh, of there. Um, and it is not just complicated, but essentially it's very delicate in the sense that even uh, a, a small difference can lead to, to, to different results, which can actually have consequences on people's lives, right? So it exactly. is critical that this, is, this behaves the same everywhere. Um, so at the very beginning, this was written by scientists and mathematicians in C. That was the original implementation years ago. Then it has a very troubled history. It got converted to Objective-C because it was iOS only at the time. Then it got, but then when I joined, uh, it was believed that the, the best multi-platform language was JavaScript. So it was converted to JavaScript. Uh, and finally, 
it was converted to TypeScript at some point just to get some type safety. So the way we're running it was running JavaScript, which works very well on the backend because it's a node, uh, mainly node application. Uh, it was working well enough on iOS because iOS has this like system level support for running JavaScript, which is pretty nice. They have like binding at the language level. And then it was really not working well on Android because on Android you have two options for running JavaScript code. Either you embed an entire JavaScript runtime, which is obviously a huge dependency and, um, and it brings together you know, a, a lot of overhead or you try to use some clever tricks, which is what we try to do. Um, we were running a web view, which is the component normally shows websites inside an app. We were running it hidden, uh, tied to the entire application context and running JavaScript on that. So to make this clear, you're essentially saying that you had written the code in TypeScript yes. to get some type safety, and you were running this same code in the back end and on two different devices, That's right? right? Yeah. For the sole purpose, I'm assuming, so that people could still get the information they needed without having to have connectivity. That's right. Uh, we are offline first as a design philosophy in many ways because we started that way for sure, but it's also about trust. Like our users want and need to have the information available at any time despite the connectivity. Plus, if you take into account um, emerging markets, uh, third world countries where the connectivity is almost a commodity, then it's obvious that we really need to be offline first. Even the, the entire concept of accounts is completely optional. You can use the app completely locally and we won't know anything about you. Like we do collect some analytics, but mostly about uh, app usage, not about the data that the users actually input in the app. Um, we, so when you create an account, we ask you explicitly um, the, the permission to essentially say, can we use your data in a completely anonymous way for um, research? So one of the things that is really surprising about this field is that there is not much research. The, the biggest research is, uh, it was done in the 60s, and the biggest groups of people were something like a thousand or maybe 10,000 people, and that was it. Like there really is not research for this. And so we want, and we already are doing partnerships with universities where we uh, give them this anonymized data and have them come up with interesting use cases for it. Okay. And, and I want to touch on this uh, later on again. So coming back to your problem. So you were using TypeScript and you, at some point you decided, well, enough is enough because of the problems <laughs> with Android and JavaScript and let's go with Kotlin. Yeah, so um, so the, the, the real problem with Android is that uh, switching context so much uh, is really, really, really slow. Um, our algorithm before was taking on some devices, like especially slower devices, seconds to run every single time we had any change. Um, which is insane, where on iOS it would take milliseconds. So it's like such a huge um, difference, a gap in performance. Uh, plus, we, we really were locked into only being able to have this like one big, you can imagine as a pure function where you put all the data in and you get the data out. Because every time you cross the borders, it's expensive. So if we ever wanted to share more than just that, uh, the cost of you know going back and forth would have been too big, and it would not have been 
uh, a good use of that. So I tried at the beginning as a joke to say, well, you know, Kotlin is amazing. It, it compiles to JavaScript. We could, you know, try to convert everything to that. And I, I pushed for this so much that it kind of became like an internal joke in a company. Every time that uh, someone mentioned Kotlin, they would like look at me or make jokes about it. Uh, it became like a, an internal meme, essentially. But then, and this is the, the interesting story, um, at some point, like the company grew, we became much more mature and we realized that this was really a blocker, the, the performance issue. Um, and so uh, one of our backend engineers, Florent, uh, he, was, he took responsibility of the shared code part and he was assigned to find an alternative. So of course, Kotlin was one of the possibilities. And at the beginning, it was extremely uh, skeptical about it. So he started this project where he wanted to demonstrate that Kotlin was not a viable alternative for, for sharing code. And he wrote this document uh, outlining pros and cons. And in the end, all by himself, he, he came out as a believer. So he demonstrated that actually Kotlin not just works for this, despite being in super early stages for sharing across platforms, but um, it is the best option so far for our use case, especially. So when was this? Uh, so I think a few months ago, like maybe two or three months ago. Okay, so this was after the Kotlin 1.1 release, which where we provided actual official support for JavaScript, right? That's right, yes. I, I did okay. try to share code before and um, it was still even rougher on the edges, especially it's surprising, but the lack of something like uh, type aliases uh, was making a huge difference. And I can talk about this now, like to tell you exactly what were the issues, etc. But yeah. And then, so what did you do next? Did you take all your code base and convert it to Kotlin? The, I mean, the, we're talking about the shared code base in terms of the algorithm, right? The algorithm. The algorithm, yeah, yeah. So the, the, the plan was to do this incrementally. So um, Florent created this uh, Gradle project that wrapped the original NPM project in TypeScript. And he, he created two modules, one called Legacy, which contained all the uh, original TypeScript code, and one was the new Kotlin shared code. Uh, then he made one dependent on the other. So the new Kotlin code would contain a part of the original algorithm that would get converted into JavaScript, and the JavaScript would be embedded into the original TypeScript. And so piece by piece, he ripped out the original algorithm, converting piece by piece to Kotlin, and we were still we were still shipping the entire thing, which kept the same public API in JavaScript, um, except the implementation little by little was more and more Kotlin converted to JavaScript, right? And then it, this happened like last week. He finally finished the entire thing, and and as soon as he did that, we were finally able to ship the JVM compile JVM version of Kotlin on Android, and it's already in production. Wow. So now the algorithm on Android runs natively, essentially. Yeah, pretty much. And uh, the speed increase is insane. So from some informal benchmarks that I did, uh, it's at least 10 times faster. We have peaks of 100 times faster and even 1,000 times faster, which is completely insane. And even the startup time is uh, linearly like, a hundred times faster than before. Like it's, it's crazy. 
Nice. And then, so what about the back end? Is this now Kotlin code targeting, uh, compiling to JavaScript, running on Node, or how is the back end running? So that's the beauty of it. Uh, the back end now has an architecture where they have uh this these modules like microservices running around so they can really use any um technology they want for the single service uh, one of the reasons why they actually got excited about the idea of using kotlin was that they could finally move away from javascript um because like we have millions of users and so when you try to run this algorithm on millions of users, it takes a long time to do it in JavaScript. And so having the possibility to use the JVM for this is very exciting for them as well. And so right now, um, I don't even know, like I think the, the current infrastructure is still uh, node-based for the analysis part, but they can easily move away now to, to whatever they need. And then that leaves you with iOS, right? Because there you're right. still running uh, JavaScript. Yeah, which again, um, to be fair, it works well enough for them, so it's not a huge issue at the moment. Uh, but of course, with Kotlin native, uh, I want to say around the corner, although it's still a bit far off. But um, but at least coming, um, that also is super exciting for them. Um, one of our iOS engineers, Michal, he actually uh, hacked the the current uh, tech review compiler of Kotlin native because right right now Kotlin native can only produce um binaries like uh, executables so you can only run your entire app in kotlin or nothing right uh what he did was to modify the the compiler pipeline to make it so that it could be embedded into an existing application like a swift application and so he was able to run kotlin code compiled to native code through an, an existing swift app which is what we would want to do in the future. Of course, it's still super rough and we won't use it in production, but the possibility is there. That is very nice. Yeah. And have you guys considered uh, using Kotlin native also for the algorithm itself, uh, targeting uh, apart from iOS, or you're happy with it? You think you'll be happy with it just running on the JVM for the back end? Um, that's a very good question. I guess we will need to benchmark it. So the, the JVM is tricky because when you run it uh, on the scale of a server, it doesn't necessarily mean it's slower than native. Actually, at times it could be faster because the optimizations that it does are dynamic and dependent on the, the actual execution. So it could arrive to a point where the native code is hard-coded into having a single strategy for, for optimizing things, while the JVM can adapt. So I think in the long run, the JVM might still be better, but I will definitely need to benchmark that. Okay, so now I want to talk to you a little bit about some other aspects, uh, kind of outside of the, the Kotlin mm -hmm. uh, area, because it's for me, it's very interesting. So you said that this algorithm has essentially been around for many, many years, right? Yeah. And the research on it, there's not been new research on determining uh, menstruation cycles or there has been or there's not been significant changes what what is the uh, you know how is the situation in that aspect um, it's not even about menstruation necessarily so um, what like many especially men don't realize is that this is something that's happening to women or whoever has uh, hormonal cycles and maybe does not even identify as a woman but these people um, have this happening to their bodies 
every time, like either once a month or however long it's for them. And it's different for everyone. And there's so many symptoms that come out of this that impact their lives. And maybe they don't even themselves realize how much it impacts their life. For example, things that I learned that I was completely uh, fascinated by, um, you can have like a pain in your teeth, depending on where you are in your cycle, your hair can change dramatically, uh, lots of as aspects can change, not just the mood, which is probably the, the thing that most people associate with. Um, you can have migraines at very specific uh, parts of the cycle, um, there's so much things so many things going on that it's really incredible. And the point is, again, the research around this is almost non-existent. Um, and again, not just about fertility necessarily or, or finding out where the next bleeding is gonna be. It could be any kind of symptoms. Um, and also another thing is not just that the, the groups of people over which research, research has been done is small, um, but the, the type is very, very, very selected. It's like, for example, I don't know, all white women, all in their 30s, uh, all with a specific background. So it's really not varied. Like, we have no idea how that applies to other ethnicities or other uh, age groups or something like that. And this is the area where you said you want to partner up with some universities <clears throat> to try and improve this research, right? Yeah, we already are. Um, to the point where now universities themselves are coming to us to ask if they can uh, partner with us. Um, we have, like now, I, I'm not updated honestly on this, but you can definitely look on our website or, or search uh, us on Google. We we have multiple partnerships going on. We have already published uh, papers, scientific papers around it, and it's an ongoing uh, process and effort. That's fascinating. And and the reason that I asked about this research when you said there wasn't a lot is because, again, we're going back to the whole privacy aspect, right? Mm -hmm. You guys have created an algorithm uh, and you're sharing it across multiple devices for multiple reasons. And I think that they're admirable. One is the trust. Second of all, you're looking at, you know, countries where this could be very, very useful and actually help people and save lives. And you are doing it in an offline way because that's your principle. The flip side of this, of course, is as we all kind of know or they've told us, is that, you know, you get the you get more insight and more information when you have more data, essentially big data, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if I'm using this in an offline way, but at the same time, you know, in a, in a very tr true way, all I want is to be able to get this data with this optional accounts that people uh, submit to be able to predict things better. So, you know, you have this uh, conflict, so to speak, right? From one side, you have your principles that you want this to be offline. From the other side, you know that the more data you get, the better you could provide, the better service you could provide to people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um... <laughs> It's a, it's a balance we need to strike. Um, so our philosophy is that we don't want to force anyone into, into giving us their data, um, as well as the fact that we just want to help people. Like that's, that's the mission, that's the ultimate goal. So if someone is not comfortable doing that, it's absolutely fine. They would still benefit from everybody else that does it <clears throat> in the sense that 
whenever we update the 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 algorithm will still be better in that sense and uh, the predictions will still be better um plus so without going too much into detail but like we are also looking into making much more personalized uh, predictions in the sense that the model will at some point probably adapt to the single user and it can still be done in an offline mode um so again the reason why you would want to have an account especially now um, is for keeping your data safe because we back it up for you and we share it across all your devices, uh, even across platforms. Like if you have an Android and iOS phone or tablet, uh, it shares across all of them. Um, and then of course we are working on insights that are going to be too heavy to be computed locally. So if you want to have this kind of really, really big insights, then you will probably have to have an account. Yeah. You know, there's a very good interview with Elon Musk uh, in which he essentially says that at the end of the day, if we really want to leverage artificial intelligence and not mm -hmm. um, give into our privacy is that, you know, we all end up with our own AI. In of course, that, you know, yeah. our own independent uh, AI, not disconnected in a way from from everyone else. Um, this is so true for for this domain because oh, the the biggest lesson I've learned is that people are different so much so that they could almost be of different species. Um, the the predictions that we make are widely different across the board depending on the single person. So most definitely like whatever approach you use to um, gather predictions from the data has to learn how this person works. So yeah. Now, just the other day, I saw an article uh, from a newspaper in Germany, uh, which you're situated in Germany. And it was the one of the ministers saying that he wants to put some sort of regulation in place for algorithms. Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, yeah, it's uh, so for, to give some context, it's essentially about verifying that algorithms are not harmful and are doing what they say they should be doing, or at least that's the gist of it from what I understood, you know, the Google Translate of it from German. Have you heard anything about this being in Germany and having the algorithm? <laughs> so, yes, I heard about this. And I mean, it's still early stages. Like, I don't think it should impact us specifically very much. I understand the intent. And as usual, it's a noble intent. Um, honestly, we'll see what happens. Specifically, we are buying a medical um, like a medical app or device. Uh, so we are getting certifications for that, which means we will still be controlled anyway. Like our process has to be uh, very formal uh, and standardized anyway. So that's not going to be an issue for us, uh, maybe for other people, but yeah, we'll see. We'll see about that. And that's a very good point. And I, and I, and I wonder if that is because you are in Germany or or would this apply to any other country? I, it's, I'm curious about that. You know, like, are there, it, because we all know that, you know, in Germany, the, the joke is like, you know, the <laughs> Germans, they love their rules, right? Yeah. Um, but I, it, I am curious if, and I think it's a very good thing. Like, I really do, because I think that it Absolutely, en yes. enforces the trust in, in your application. 
Uh, so, yeah, but like many things, you know, good intentions and then how they're implemented is essentially let's get people that have no clue on privacy, no clue yeah. on technical aspects and put them in charge of uh, Internet, the Ministry of Internet or whatever they want to call it. Yeah. So this product is mainly targeted at women. What is the makeup of your company? I'm assuming that there, sh there is probably a good portion of women working at your company, right? Yeah, I think it's about 60% women or yeah, maybe even more. I'm not sure. Uh, I, I haven't seen the latest uh, numbers on this. Uh, but yeah, it's always been that uh, we're more women generally than men. Um, and it's also true in the engineering department, not just uh, content or marketing, actually. Um, yeah, we, we have a very good split. <laughs> it's very interesting. Like it's a, such a nice... Uh, interesting place to work at, not just for the gender split, but also the nationality split. We have, I lost count how many nationalities, like 12 or something. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think it's amazing because it's also really, you know, you're doing something that actually impacts people's lives, right? Directly impacts people's lives. And, it, and it's always fantastic to, to be in, in such a place, you know? Yeah, there's, there's two stories I want to to tell you because they're just uh, interesting and, and fun. One is that this is the first time ever that uh, when I tell someone that I work for Clue, um, like random strangers, one of the reactions I get sometimes is that they just hug me. Like literally out of nothing, I just tell them and they just hug me and say, thank you, thank you, I love this app. It makes my life so much better. So that's amazing, I never had that before. Um, the other fascinating story is that we did, um, an experiment. We did a project where we tried to predict if just based on your symptoms, um, users could have medical conditions of different kinds. And we would send a targeted email to these users saying, hey, maybe nothing is going on, but maybe you should go to a doctor and get uh, checked. And we got some incredible replies from some users. Um, one I remember specifically said, I went to a doctor and it turns out I actually have a tumor. And so I didn't know, and now it's treatable because it's early enough. But if it wasn't for you, I would have probably died. And wow. God, wow, amazing. Wow. Wow, that is, that is amazing. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm, I, I, I'm like, I'm, yeah, speechless on that. Um, I'm, I'm going to tell my, like, my wife's out right now, but as soon as she comes home, I'm like, <laughs> yes. you're installing this awesome app <laughs> that I have heard of. I mean, I'd, I'd briefly told her about it uh, before, before speaking to you. Yeah. Uh, but some of the things that you've talked to me about on this uh, show in regard to, you know, it's not just about cycles. It's about, uh, you know, telling you issues that you may have with dental Talking. problems yeah. or whatever. That in itself is just so valuable, you know. Mm -hmm. and, and this, this, yeah, that that's fantastic. And and I know that you're going to be speaking about all of this at uh, Kotlin Conf in November, right? And how you have of essentially course. done all of the technical aspects, uh, which is yeah. is going yeah, to be yeah. awesome. And um, I'm very excited to see you there. Uh, yeah. So, but we do have to wrap up because uh, it has been running for some time. Uh, so once again, thank you, Eugenia, for uh, coming on the show. And it really was great talking to you. Thank you.